The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 16, The Contact Team Memo, October 23rd, 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, uh, you Star Trek historians. Hey, <laughs> all you tech heads out there, you canonistas, I always say that lovingly. You know, I'm talking to all of you Trekophiles, spelled with an F, of course. Um, here on the Trek Files. Uh, wow, we're going to dive back into, um, well, again, this reflection on what is the worth of the Trek Files besides fun, cool historical documents. They always are reflecting on every new Star Trek to come down the pike, no pun intended, uh, as, as the years have gone by and how um, all these seminal documents about Gene and Gene's life and the Star Treks that he made and the people he worked with are, are, are relevant to, to go back and look at and Let's dive in this week once again back into those um, the think tank days of Next Generation. That's our document for this week. It's a section. Um, you'll, you'll recognize it. We'll talk some more about it. Hey, here's an audio sample, so take a listen. And then I'll be right back. You can find the document there, as always, at, at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. And um, hang around. I'll be right back with this week's special guest. the series would of course still be the captain of the Enterprise. He would have to be more thoughtful than James Tiberius Kirk, perhaps someone like Captain Ferrillo of Hill Street Blues. He is capable of action when appropriate, but is also able to delegate responsibility to his senior officers so he can concentrate on the truly difficult part of the situation. Indeed, we should see him delegating authority. This demonstrates that his officers are capable and competent, and it demonstrates that he is using all of the resources he has at hand. The contact team would be his equivalent of a SWAT team, pardon the comparison, not needed every day, but specially trained for those situations where they are necessary. Therefore, we would not see the contact team every episode. We would only see them when a first contact situation or rescue situation occurs. Well, there you go, Star Trek fans. We uh, we're talking about yes, the the uh, when the Brain Trust, <laughs> this very small group, was working in late 1986. This is actually a um, a memo during those days of trying to figure out exactly what new Star Trek would look like, which we now know is the Next Generation. This is a section of some very first thoughts when Gene Roddenberry asked David Gerald to to reflect on what would what would be part of a new Star Trek and. I go back to this, and I bet uh, our guest this week goes back too. Uh, David wrote a couple of books during the fallow years in those days about critiquing, actually, the making of Star Trek, and not the making, but the world of Star Trek, uh, his book, and some actual critiques of the format, some of the format creep, <laughs> some of the, some of the, you know, some of the, uh, some of the memes, some of the tropes of original Trek and what to do about them if there was ever a second chance. And so, of course, Gene turned to David, uh, not just for Tribble's sake, but for those critiques. And so, as I turn and look at our guest this week, um, 
How does this memo strike you, Thomas Marone? And Thomas, of course, everybody, from Star Trek Online, ship designer for the last few years, longtime Trek fan, recently to see his uh, ships made canon on Star Trek Picard, among other places. Um, welcome back to the Trek Files, Thomas. And what comes to mind pulling this out and checking out uh, <laughs> this concept that was never fully realized? But what, what do you think when you see this idea that uh, David had? Uh, it's great to be here, and I'm actually really, really excited to be talking about this particular memo because uh, when I read this, I, I um, kind of sat up straight in my chair because I thought, man, this is a cool idea, and I really wish this this had been part of Star Trek from minute one. I mean, you know, if you think about the idea of um, you've got people, um, I guess the the modern allegory would be like Marines on board a Navy ship, right? They're 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 the people trained to actually go into dangerous situations because it it doesn't really make sense that the chief engineer is the person that you send. I mean, forget about the captain, but like the chief engineer or the chief operations officer, the people that you're sending in these mm -hmm. super dangerous situations. Um, you know, you would think that uh, they'd have people who are a little more rough and ready. Um, I mean, still through the Starfleet lens of you know wanting to have a peaceful first contact and uh, and and very knowledgeable about certain um, scientific and you know engineering principles for sure. But no, I thought this was a really cool idea, um, and and we do actually end up seeing it um, in some degree when you go think about like the Mako in uh, in mm -hmm. Enterprise um, mm -hmm. many 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 years later. Right. Well, and that's, again, that's more leaning into the military security risk side, which there's a line here, all first contacts are dangerous until proven otherwise. Right, yeah. But, um, you know, the part of the initial assumption, and fans were starting to, to, to get that, even Star Trek fans, by the, by the early 70s after cancellation, maybe even during the run of the series. But, you know, David wrote his books, 73, 74, 75, and uh, we, we were talking about a movie then, you know, through a couple of iterations and then the phase two series and then the motion picture. But the idea of Star Trek's return and what needed to be tweaked, we were so conscientious about not changing anything. But right. it was obvious that, you know, some things could be changed and some things could be tweaked and evolved. And the idea that you're going to send your captain, your first officer, your chief medical officer, your chief engineer, like how much has been invested in these people, you right. know, to risk them. And that is not <laughs> the way it's done. Right. In real life. And they talked about that. And thank God they did, because when I had to write the Next Generation Companion in three months, um, mm -hmm. I could go back to some of David's critiques and see how, and, and thanks to Bob Justman, see how they had, that was very front of mind. And here's an mm -hmm. example of David bringing it up right out of the gate. And like I said, we didn't get a formal contact team as part of the show format. But that idea that at least not sending the captain down to it. Right. So yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. I was about to say that that seems to be this seems to sort of, you know, hint at where it goes with um, between Picard and Riker in terms of, well, they're not going to send the captain down anymore. Um, and I also wonder, too, you know, if it's a um, not just the personal um, putting the captain at personal risk, but also um, putting the captain in a personal risk where he's going to be exposed to alien mind control, you know, things like that, <laughs> where they end up. Um, uh, establishing a society of Nazi aliens or whatever happens in that one TOS episode. <laughs> well, it gets bad. And I mean, think how many times Picard was hijacked from afar, yeah, you know, yeah, like uh, by the, by Bach and the Ferengis and, right. you know, those early, some of those early episodes. Um, 
Well, that's that's what it, as they develop the characters we've seen in other documents too. That's what say Jordy and Data were were seen as being part of, and the security chief, you know, Tasha, in the beginning. Uh, he's still talking about matcha here, mm-hmm. but um, but th- I think puts in the subtext of this memo too. And think about this: is they were still one of the things they were grappling with. Forget Star Trek in general; they were grappling with the idea of the new wave of ensemble shows. And that's why I love this reference to Captain Frillo of Hill Street Blues mm-hmm. being Hill Street being the pioneer and the oh my god, there's twenty characters in this show, <laughs> right. and we never know. There's a leads and there's a hierarchy. And the star billing matches kind of the hierarchy. He was the captain of the precinct. But we had so many. And, you know, we had the SWAT team. We had the undercover detectives. We had the beat cops. Mm -hmm. And get that flavor. And here they are starting to grapple with the revolution in TV and how how that can be a plus. It's not just, you know, the lead, the second banana and everybody else the way it had been in the 60s in the original series. So that should be something they could mine for this idea of let's not put the captain in jeopardy every week. Yeah, and I think I think one of the really interesting things I I think is cool about this memo, and I think is maybe a lesson for people trying to pitch ideas, is it's not just a blue sky. This is this is what I think would be cool for the world, but then there are concrete examples of why, like how this makes the story better for the show, like how you could use this bit of world building to to fertilize uh, an episode mm-hmm. premise. Right. There's a, a section in here about how um, the people on the contact team have a dangerous assignment and they're, some are killed. And so they report to the captain's office with like bullseyes on their chest. Right. And in kind of protest of being seen as expendable. Um, and, you know, like it's cool to see not just the, the idea uh, as an isolated world building concept, but then like how does it feed potential stories mm-hmm. uh, going forward? Yeah, kind of, kind of take that red shirt meme. Right, uh, exactly. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it was powerful enough that they changed the, you know, the division colors. Yeah, gold yeah. And, and red swapped places so that we wouldn't have any more red shirts. Is that really why they did that? I never, well, I never part really... of factored into part. Yeah, part of it was yeah. people's complexions wow. and colors, but also, yeah, a little bit of that. That's um, really funny. You know, and. Uh, uh, this he's even getting into like a story idea where the there's a society where the you know the bodies are seen as expendable and that's the brain it's the mind mm-hmm. that's the important thing and the bodies are just cases so they're which is interesting because that you know that almost leads into like a that's your Borg a little bit like the drones mm-hmm. are just the legs of the right. hive mind a bit but um yeah it wasn't formalized but the some of the elements that would be in fact he even says at the end the contact team could be semi-regulars i mean right. we never really got into that if if we if they'd ever developed when they when they i'm just spitballing here when they uh promoted Jordy to for, to chief engineer and then we had the you know and then it was wesley and then we had the rotating seat of who's flying the ship this week and you right. know, you know that finally led to like row but right. at times we had people, we had extras, we had people who were in a show or two that got to say, I, sir. Mm-hmm. But, um, but trying to develop that, 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 I don't know, lower decks of people who are, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it's almost like this, this function here in a, in a bigger way is what the second contact mission of, of the Cerritos and that, and the Cali ships in a way, yeah. I mean, you know, and it, you know, it writ large, but as far as, um, it's just another example of how they how they were really trying to revolution, take the moment of twenty years difference, and really try to shake things up. And I, I don't know, has has anybody thought about this with, that you've interfaced with 
say like at Star Trek Online as as adventures are developed and missions are developed? Um, you know, we have we certainly have your bridge officers um in the in the gameplay. So you can like, you know, you you create your ship and then you actually fill out your what you want your bridge crew to be. And then we have a second um a layer of of gameplay that we call duty officers which are supposed to be the kind of red shirts expendable people and you have there's a gameplay element where you send them off to do missions by themselves um but i i think i think there are a lot of players who do theme i mean the great thing about star trek online is you have a lot of customization options and so i've seen a lot of players like take um their you know, their crew and say, well, this guy is like a Mako officer, so he's going to dress a little bit differently. He'll have a special uniform. Um, you know, they're, he's designed, you know, he's uh, specializing in, you know, crisis response and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's one of the cool things that, that SDO lets you do. It sort of lets you explore the Star Trek universe on your, your terms. Right. And um, uh, I, you know, I think this, this is a really cool uh it was a really cool idea. And I, and I, I, I like the idea, like you said, of um, just adding more characters to the mix and they don't have to be uh, serious regulars that are there all the time, but like, you know, it can be every now and then like, Oh, it's those guys like, like, like they did with the Makos on enterprise. I think um, I actually wonder if, uh, um, if there was any, any of this sort of survived to inform that or not, um, or it was just sort of a happy, happy coincidence. Yeah. But um, I actually really like the Makos. Um, I, I liked the Mako on Enterprise, how they didn't, uh, they weren't actually expendable red shirts, right? I mean, I guess they were expendable, but they were all really competent. And they, you know, mm-hmm. usually like when they came, they came in, they actually did a good job and they were, you know, they knew what they were doing. And, and, and there was a chance for, it was also cool to seeing the interpersonal conflict between the Mako uh, crew and the Enterprise crew. Yeah. Part of the genius of that, and it's, you know, Enterprise gets so short shrift, but in this vein, they, whether it was the stunt people or the extras who were that, aside from keeping the same faces over and over, which as they would do with the regular crew, as they mm-hmm. did from TNG onward, which was just so amazing. Aside mm-hmm. from the fact those people now can go to conventions because you saw their face, so, you yeah. know, <laughs> the ones who were extras and, and fill in all the time. But uh, they talk about casting like ex-military and former military and people mm. with, with services training. And so you mm. got a little bit of the, it's a little bit stereotypical lean, mean look, but that's, they were only the, you know, they're only a, a century from now or a little over a right. century from now. So again, just like what the rest of the enterprise format was meant to be closer to NASA than to Kirk and Picard's time or as, right. as close. Right. And, um, that's, you talk about the Makos that was, uh, that's but that's the kind of subtextual thing that nobody comes in and, does a press release and screams it in your face in the story, but it just comes through. Right. So right. It, it, mean, worked, it worked on you then. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain bearing that, that uh, military, the people who served in the military tend to have, um, I think works well for that kind of role. And I know that there are some movies, um, especially they need a lot of people who are p- portraying military officers, essentially just doing their jobs. They will just, they will just go on a real ship you know, they'll get permission from the Navy or the Air Force or whatever, and they'll go on a real ship and then you'll say, okay, run this drill, right? Which is what they're supposed to be doing in the movie. And then they just record those people um, doing mm-hmm. their jobs, but, you know, and then they'll cut edit it together to make it look like, oh, they're shooting missiles at transformers or something. <laughs> but like, but it's all, they're all just, 
because drills are essentially acting, yeah. right? You're just going through the checklist of everything you have to do in a certain order. Um, and, and ideally, you'd be doing it in the real situation, the same sort of calm demeanor that you do it in a drill, and they got to just get that on screen. It's, it's interesting how this all sort of um, comes together. And I think um, it's, it's, sorry, it's a little left field, but one of the interesting things about Hunt for Red October which is one of my favorite Star Trek movies is um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the guy who played the captain of the USS Dallas, he had in his head what he thought a submarine captain should be, you know, really like larger than the life, boisterous, mean, loud. Mm-hmm. And then he spent time with real submariners and then the submarine captains and sort of, and he realized like, Oh, these guys are actually very focused, very quiet, very smart people who have a lot going on in their, in their heads before they make a decision or whatever. And that totally changed his perspective and performance of that role. And so um, I think there's something to be said for like anybody who's playing a character in Star Trek, kind of spending time with real scientists and real veterans to get that perspective on, on their role and kind of blending the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, people would say, well, this contact team just sounds like an, you know, away team and away team Mm -hmm. was the new term to replace landing party. But right. to me, an away team is just whoever left, who got yes. on the pad yeah. and left. But this contact team was like specially, now whether it was first contact or just if there's a situation and you had first contact, but that's changed. And uh, yeah, and getting into the bit about the characters you can have. It feels a little more original series that your guest stars are going to be the young, as we say here, the young ensign or the right. cautious short timer or the foolhardy bully. And I think right. it was more nuanced when you got that way. But then Next Gen didn't lean into that kind of a original series yeah the the next gen i mean the 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 sort of tenor of professional starfleet officer next generation is very far removed from it's leans much more heavily in how you'd expect like nasa astronauts and scientists to Mm -hmm. to act than just um you know oh i'm just an enlisted guy doing my my three-year thing i'm on the enterprise for six months and i'm not going to worry about the ship ever again right we need I think Crewman Tarsus might have been the only example we had of a character like that on TNG, and that poor guy got uh, yeah. got a court martial, so <laughs> <laughs> or or survived it. What are you right. talking about? The part Romulan, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Head? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I mean between him and O'Brien, actually O'Brien, I don't even think was I don't know if he was ever actually portrayed as enlisted on TNG, or if that <laughs> didn't happen until DS9. But but Crewman Tarsus is the only like featured character i think that was an enlisted kind of um uh, even the characters in lower decks were all ensigns and junior lieutenants yeah yeah well again it's sophistication of the writing and and uh and this is part of it anyway it's it's interesting to see what could have been but then what did what did survive what you know the elements that did absolutely i think it's a great concept thomas i love having you do this uh it's great to have you on the show and and add your voice to our guest list and we'll have to have you back sometime this has been fun Absolutely. No, it's great. I mean, it could probably talk about this whole concept for, for hours. Like, there's, <laughs> I think it's so fertile and so interesting. Well, we'll have to do this again uh, real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> okay. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, and all of our documents, as well as your chance to comment, of course, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And please do visit and comment. Hey, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Okay, that's me, yes, at larrynimacek.com. That's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts, too, at our Tee Public shop. Trek well.
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.